Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, joined by fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, how are you? Not too bad. Uh, making it through, you know what I mean? Buffs are two and all. That's pretty good. Basketball, yeah. hopefully, hopefully, getting off next week as well. So more to root for there. We've got a pretty mailbag heavy show on tap for you here. Uh, we're recording this Thursday midday. Just got the statement from Rick George that they're not going to play a non-conference opponent this weekend. Going to wait to see if uh, maybe something opens up in the conference. Obviously, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that because by the time a lot of folks listen to this, it might be outdated if if there is another game that's scheduled. But uh, right now, it looks like it might be a bye week for the Buffs. Yeah, I can't say I'm super surprised. I know people are <laughs> racking their brains trying to figure out any possible way to get it done. But, I mean, until – an hour ago or whatever it's been now, you couldn't even play a non-conference game. Obviously the logistics behind making that work, uh, especially given the PAC 12 regulations behind it are fairly stringent. Um, I just don't see how you could play this week. I mean, one of the, one of the things they said was that you, they have to adhere to PAC 12 testing protocols. Um, I mean, but they haven't been up until this point. So are they really going to allow, allow a team to all of a sudden test every day, two days before the game. And that's fine. I don't really see that being the case. So I think the timing of this was intentional to ensure that this can take place starting next week at the earliest. I feel like this was a low energy start to the show, Tyler. Let, let's get excited here because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise we're going to put people to sleep out there. Obviously we're going to be focused more on football on this show, but we got to lead with Tyler Bay heading to play for the Dallas Mavericks selected 36th, by the Philadelphia 76ers, but traded with Josh Richardson to the Mavericks for Seth Curry. Uh, I think on Twitter you said that you, you like this spot for Tyler Bay. Love it. Uh, good organization, uh, smart team. You know, they, they, uh, they're they going to be relevant for a long time. And while I don't expect him to play immediately, I do think he's a very complimentary piece to what they already have there. Good fit next to Chris Tapps Porzingis, a good fit next to Luka Doncic, those are the pieces that they're going to be building around there. And it allows him, if Tyler's willing, to strictly focus on defense and rebounding because that's what they need out of that team. If Tyler's willing to fully take that, take on that Andre role in the NBA and be that switchable defensive guard, a guy who he's not going to get a play called for him probably for the rest of his career, you're willing to do the dirty work, I think that that would be a really good match for him. Obviously, his offensive game is different than Andre's was uh, coming out of college. What, what is his ceiling on that end of the court? Aside from just offensively rebounding, just you know, as as a shooter in a score on on the NBA level. I mean, it's limited. You know, he's he's not going to create for others. I think as a spot up shooter, he can be a guy who's serviceable. But again, he's not going to have any plays run for him. He's he's better than Andre. There's no doubt about that, but I, I would still be surprised to see him as a guy who ever averages more than eight to 10 points a game. I, I just don't think that's what his bread and butter is going to be. Or, and I also don't think it's what it should be at this level. There's a lot of dudes out there who can get a lot of buckets. Um, I mean, you can see, you know, Devon Dotson didn't even get drafted. Uh, Miles Powell didn't even get drafted. There's a lot of guys in the world that can score 20, 25 points a game. There are not a lot of guys in the world that have Tyler Bay's defensive versatility. Uh, so that's that's where he's going to have to make his money, in my opinion. Is Tyler Bay somebody that you think is going to develop in the G League for a while before he gets a, a real shot to make um, an impact? 
Are they even well, have the G League, G League games right now? Do we know yeah, what, what the situation is there? I mean, I think for his personal development, the G League is not really great for his skill sets. Um, I would like to see him stay up at the NBA level more often than not. We'll have to see the rosters in the NBA are really in flux and everything is kind of happening super fast. I mean, training camp is like tomorrow, basically. <laughs> so things are moving a little bit faster than they normally would. They do have a lot of guys in that mold that are similar to Tyler, so they might stash him for a little bit. But I do think – I mean, he was taking 36, which isn't a guaranteed contract, but in today's day and age, it pretty much is. I mean, he's going to get a guaranteed deal most likely, um, and I would assume that at some point you'll see him on the active roster. Switching over to football – want to get your final takeaways from Colorado's 35-32 road victory at Stanford. I don't know if everybody that listens to the podcast watches the analysis videos, but Brian and I talked for about a half an hour on the game. Uh, I want to get your thoughts, Tyler. Uh, Really big win. That's a team that, well, I think it it played out sort of how we talked about in the fact that this was going to be a strength-on-strength matchup for CU and that I expected our front seven to look quite a bit better than they did in that UCLA matchup. And I think that certainly came to fruition. I mean, we don't have necessarily the most explosive Miles Garrett style defensive line you've ever seen, but when it comes to controlling the line of scrimmage and dominating the run game, I feel really good about that. I mean, Stanford doesn't have as much talent as they had in years past for sure, but still that's not a team that you walk in and expect to physically dominate in the way that we did. I thought, Defensively, we were much improved despite not getting a single turnover. Uh, We talked about last week how you can't rely on four turnovers a game. That's just not something that continues. And, you know, until the game was not out of hand, obviously, but we were trying to milk it away at the end. That's really the only time the defense struggled. I thought for three quarters, the defense was pretty much excellent. I mean, Nate Landman, this is a perfect style of game for him. Obviously, defensive player of the week for a reason. This is is one that he's going to shine and just go – you know, basically turn your brain off and just go get the ball. Yeah, I mean, much improved offensively. Sam Neuer, you know, what, what more could you say? I mean, he's been at pretty much flawless through two games. The start of the game was a little bit slower than last, which, you know, wouldn't be hard to accomplish. Uh, but they got in rhythm, especially in that third quarter. And, you know, he's just making all the throws, not making a ton of mistakes. I mean, the interception was, you know, an arm punt down inside the 10, which isn't the worst situation, even if it's a bad decision. But it wasn't really a bad decision. They just got a free release on a blitz. He wasn't really able to put all his weight into the throw, and it came up a little bit short. One guy I didn't mention uh, talking with Brian is Frank Phillip. He actually graded out as CU's top offense alignment in the Stanford game. That unit yeah. overall is – Definitely exceeded my expectations. If you told me Purcell would go down and, you know, they're having to move somebody in that hasn't played center before, I would be a little bit concerned. So really impressive performance by them. Absolutely. Uh, Isaiah Lewis is actually graded out as the Buffs' top overall defensive player for two games. Again, something I never would have expected. He wasn't in our top 30 Buffs countdown, and he's been one of their top five or ten, at least ten players early on this season. Yeah, easy. Um, I mean – out of the secondary, he's easily been the best so far, or at least the most consistent. The one guy you haven't noticed getting beat or making a mental mistake either, which is huge. I think I think I said this on the podcast last week, but I'm going to reiterate it because it's very true. Athleticism only takes you so far in the game. 
um, you can play fast if you know where you're supposed to be and you see what's coming. If you, if you know what you're looking at on the field, you can look a lot faster. And that can be a, you know, a slow player that's less athletic like Isaiah, or you can even look last year at Davion Taylor, who was lost for a good portion of his career, right? I guess not last year, but through his career. And then as he started to learn the system and understand the game, he was playing worlds faster by the end and ended up getting drafted. So it's just a huge piece of your development is just being comfortable in your scheme. What makes CU's run effort defensively against Stanford even more impressive is you look at what Stanford did week one against a pretty good Oregon front and both their running backs, their top running backs played really well. UCLA, we didn't know if they were going to win a game the way they looked playing against CU and they go out there and beat Cal. So uh, yeah, yeah, Stanford and UCLA are not great Pac-12 teams, but you know, these are pretty solid victories that they have to, to start this season. Well, I mean, yeah, they, the win total for the season was one and a half. <laughs> so they've exceeded expectations uh, on a national scale two games into the season. So, yeah, you can say Stanford and UCLA aren't word beaters, but we can also say, well, you didn't expect us to beat them either. They were underdogs in both games. Um, they're 2-0. and That just doesn't happen that much. So for Colorado, you couldn't ask for much more. I, I mean, to go back on your offensive line statement, uh we expected them to be pretty good, but this level of dominance is, you know, we talked about for years, if they don't get better on the lines, you're just not going to be a good football program. I mean, you can see despite question marks in a lot of other areas on this team, the lines are dominating and the buffs are winning. Sometimes football can really be just that simple. Yeah, it is just two games, but even in 2016, the O-line was just pretty much average. I mean, they, I don't really feel like even during that season, you ever, looked at film of the game and, and saw them really dominate the, the but way the they D line, times. the D line on that team was definitely. Dominant. Yeah. 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 Well, this is going to be a mailbag heavy show. We got a few more topics before we jump into that. CU has offered two new 2022 in-state prospects, Valor Christians, Jake Mykula. Is that how you would pronounce his last yeah, name? Yeah, that's that. I mean, I don't know, but yeah, that's, that's where I would have gone with it. <laughs> and uh, Cherry Creek outside linebacker, Blake Purchase received an offer that they had previously offered uh, a handful of guys in. I states. assume that I assume that's Miles Purchase's brother. It is. It's his yeah. y- younger brother. Uh, I've got a. St- I already did a story on Jake. Got a story on Blake Purchase coming. Kicker Josh Bryant changes course. He was a CU commit for about three months. Now headed to Notre Dame, his dream school. Didn't think Notre Dame was an option when he committed to CU. So when that became an option, uh, it was a pretty easy decision for him. Now the question becomes: Do they even need to take a kicker? Uh, obviously, Evan Price has been pretty good. He's had a couple blocks, but he, aside from that, he's made every kick that he's attempted at CU. What, what would you do if you're Chris Reinhardt, CU special teams guy? I mean, I think obviously you continue to recruit guys, and if there's someone you think is worthy of an offer, you take it. But it's certainly not a position in which you're going to stretch a scholarship if you don't really like the kid. You know, like eventually, obviously, you need to take quarterbacks, whether it's one you love or not, right? I mean, you need to have quarterbacks in the system. I mean, you can get kickers in other ways. So if you can get a Josh Bryan caliber guy, one of the top kickers in the country, yeah, of course, you're going to take a look at him. But if not, I don't think you're just going to take any old kicker just because. Did you see JT Bale throwing shade on I loved Josh it. Bryan? Very, very uh, – I didn't realize that Chris Saylor was such a – was such a um, – <laughs> a, a hot button topic, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, I was surprised. Even James Stefano had a, something to say about that. Apparently they didn't like Josh Bryan as much as we thought, huh? 
I kind of refuse to get into kicker culture. That's not right. something I need in my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but it was entertaining. Does seem, does seem to be a lot of shade yeah. in that life. I do remember back in the day, Tyler, before Huddle came around, we would actually have to have the recruits or their parents actually send the, a literal tape to you in the mail. And the most elaborate packages and bios would always come from kickers and punters and long snappers. <laughs> I mean, it, it makes sense. You have to try to get noticed if you're one of those, uh, if yeah, you're a specialist, not, right? So I, I totally days. got it. Yeah, I was, I was sending tape out to coaches when I was getting recruited. There was one time old school. Yeah. There was one time somebody hand delivered it to my front door and I was like, okay, it's time to get a PO box now. <laughs> yeah, seriously. That's pretty bad. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving along. The early signing period for football is less than a month away, which it's really coming up on us, but the recruiting dead period is extended until April 15th, 2021. Just crazy Tyler that these guys, and we already saw what happened with basketball during the early signing period, these football prospects are going to sign with the college, and unless they took really early unofficial visits to these schools, uh, they're they're going to do this all through Zoom. Which I mean, it's the world we're living in right now, but it's it's a bummer for those kids that they they missed out on that opportunity. It is for sure. I mean, you're missing out on the college or that, that that recruiting experience. What I will say though is that it probably will help transfers in the future because kids will actually have committed to a program to a style of offense or defense. Um, the things that really matter when you get on campus, right, if you're going to play football, I mean, all that other stuff is great and it looks nice and all that stuff is fun. But I mean, I think what gets lost is if you're a football player, you don't have much of a life. <laughs> I mean, you really yeah. spend most of your time immersed in the football pro- program. So you really got to love that to end up at a certain space. So I, I will be interested to see if that um, affects uh, tra- uh, transfer numbers. One other note here, David Bakhtiari becomes the highest paid offensive lineman in NFL history. Four-year extension with the Packers worth $105.5 million. Uh, he already got a big contract before, and now, I mean, he's he's setting up his grandkids for, for life now. David Bakhtiari, uh, weight room coming up shortly here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, honestly, I'd be a little surprised. He doesn't seem to have have all that great of a personal connection to his time at CU. So I hope to be wrong there, but um, definitely, well, I guess I get to frame, frame this two ways. When he left early for the draft, I don't think anyone would have seen this rise coming from him. I think a lot of people, including me, if I recall correctly, were, were a little shocked that he decided to leave early. You know, he's obviously been a great left tackle in the NFL for a long time. So this is a warranted contract extension and not super surprising um, in the short term. But I mean, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, it's been pretty incredible rise. Yeah, he's been proven doubters wrong from day one, obviously coming out of high school. I mean, there's a famous picture of him that's out there. He he does yeah. not look like a, a power five uh, offensive line recruit. He, he came in and, and no. played pretty early on. And yeah, I mean, I was critical too when he left early. It just kind of seemed to be out of left field because he really didn't have that great of a junior season, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, I think he was he was good, but he was at that time still pretty small. I mean, he was not 305 pounds. I mean, now you look at him now and he looks like a man, right? I mean, he did not look like that in college. So is the uh, the tip out there to, to pound two beers at a time on a, on a daily basis, and that's yeah. how you get to that weight? 
if he represents Boulder, that's the strongest way I've seen so far. <laughs> Even Jawan Winfrey got a little run there with the Packers uh, yeah. in their last game. That was cool to see. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they they have um, what is it? They have four CU players now, right? Because yeah. Gabion Ento mm-hmm. is also on the Packers. Kind of a nice little family going on up there. Yeah, I'm happy to see Jawan get a shot uh, somewhere else. You know, you know, the Broncos took him. It kind of felt like a hometown thing. Uh, give him a shot. He obviously has a lot of injury issues. So to see him healthy, A, and on an active roster is pretty awesome. All right, let's jump into the Buff Stampede mailbag. CT Buff asked, Colorado is currently ranked 108th in points given up per game nationally. If they end up playing five more games this year, where do you think they end end the season in that category? So it doesn't look like they're going to end up playing five more games unless something happens here over the weekend. But uh, we'll play along still. Uh, what, what do you think? What's their, their final number there? Probably in the seventies or eighties. I think they'll improve over time, but they're not an elite defense and you know, for what it's worth, they play in a offense heavy league. I mean, the pack 12 puts points on the board. That's not unusual there. You know, there's not really like a, I mean, at least in this particular metric, they don't adjust for offensive efficiency metrics. So yeah, I mean, I think they'll improve. They improved from game one to game two. I saw someone on the board saying that they should consider getting rid of the defensive coordinator. And I was like, okay. I mean, whoa. We, we, we have that question coming our way. So, okay, so good. Yeah. All right. Good. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, they'll probably crack the top 100. It's tough to say there. I, I don't know what every other team in the country is going to do defensively. But to your point, I mean, the fact that they improved week one to week two uh, is encouraging. And, you know, they've been really impressive on the against the run, aside from that 65 yard run by DTR in week one. So, Yep. Those defensive backs, as they gain seasoning, a little bit more experience, you'd expect them to improve. Wyo Buff asked, with Kari Kush playing center last week, we also saw Chance Vital shifting to a starting role. I also noticed that Cannon Ray got snaps. Who did he come in for? Was it due to another injury or someone else getting pulled? He also asked, more broadly, can you discuss your take on what you expect to see from the offensive line as the season progresses, seems to be a lot of shuffling with injuries, different players getting experience, etc. So starting with Cannon Ray, he played 10 snaps at right guard and Casey Roddick played 62 of the 72 offensive snaps at the position. It wasn't an injury or Roddick necessarily getting pulled. If you remember right, I mean, they were both kind of neck and neck. At one point in the summer, Casey Roddick was first on the depth chart going into camp. Ray was number one at right guard. And then Ray got hurt early in camp. So I think now that he's healthy, they're just trying to get him him involved for the sake of experience going forward. Uh, I don't think a lot of people notice this. Jake Wiley actually got in there for four snaps as well at left tackle. I, th- I think, again, they're just trying to get certain guys that are healthy some experience. Obviously, the other moves were a result of Kobe Purcell getting injured. In terms of the O-line, I mean, if they played like this the rest of the way, you're going to take that and be really excited. Absolutely. And I think at this point, the expectation is there, right? I mean, there are going to be some mistakes along the way. We all know that there's, you know, you're going to miss a scheme assignment every once in a while. That stuff happens. But overall, this is not a fluke. They're a physically dominant group. Uh, They're moving parts in and out. You know, Chance Lytle (laughs) said in an interview that he's close to 350 pounds now. It's not your your, uh, my college level 280 pound offensive front anymore. Yeah, that's been good to see. SD Buff 24 asked, should we expect not to see Jason Harris at all this year? 
it would be nice to see him get some reps, but if he's not ready, he's not ready. I think he kind of answered his own question there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this, I, uh, all summer I kind of talked about, I think the expectations on Jason Harris are probably a little high. He's skinny. Uh, you know, that's fine. You know, you can walk in and into college basketball and play when you're not physically ready because it's just a different game. You know, if you're, if you, if you don't hold your weight at the college level in football, you just can't play. I mean, he, he has a bright future an extremely bright future, but they got to get him in the weight room for a little bit. And there's nothing wrong with that. Before the UCLA game, I had my binoculars out and was just going group to group and pan over to the outside linebackers and, you see Jason Harris stand next to Jamar Montgomery and Guy Thomas, and you know why he's not out there on the field right now. Right. Even yeah. Josh, even Joshka Gustav, uh, yeah. you know, had, looked pretty good against Stanford. Right. And I guess that's the second part of the argument, right, is that we, a lot of those guys are playing extremely well. Carson Wells was fantastic last week. We, I, we haven't talked about him yet, yeah. but, I mean, he was absolutely dominant in that game. Jamar Montgomery has been pretty good getting after the quarterback as well. Joshka Gustav is the only person on the team that will turn his head on a route. So – uh, that that's impressive. Um, you know, he's been out there making plays as well. So those, those guys are playing well, you know, you're not going to take them off the field really. Yeah. But bright future. I mean, Jimmy Gilbert, it took him a while. Yeah, for sure. I mean, listen, I have, I have not changed my expectations on him moving forward one bit, but I'm not surprised to see him not playing. And the great thing is in 2021, Jason Harris is still a true freshman with five to play four. So all right, Ralphie's running asked, any injury updates? Haven't heard much about Fontenot, Katie Nixon. Seemed like he could have played one in week one, then didn't play week two either. Also curious about Purcell and Chris Miller and Brady Russell. Uh, okay, injury updates. Well, I would be surprised if we see Brady Russell again this season. And the way that Broussard is running, I don't think there's any reason to rush Alex Fontenot back. Uh, we'll see, but I, I would be surprised if either of them play. Colby Purcell and Chris Miller, kind of a week-to-week deal right now. Darrell hasn't really given us too much of a hint, but he kind of hinted maybe that Chris Miller could come back fairly soon. Katie Nixon, yeah, it's rare to see somebody go through warm-ups in back-to-back weeks and not play, but uh, he's been practicing. Uh, yeah, every week that he doesn't play that he's warming up, I'm going to be surprised because that's pretty rare. Um, other injury updates, cornerback Tariq Luckett's been out with an ankle injury. Obviously, Deion Smith has been out since before camp started with a knee injury. The freshman tight ends weren't dressed for the opener, uh, but they probably need to develop anyways. Carson Lee is back. I don't know if you're going to necessarily see him out there, but it's good that he's back in the mix practicing. He's a true freshman that was pretty highly regarded coming out of Cherry Creek. Janaz Jordan returned, played against Stanford, and then obviously James Stefano retired after getting hurt again. Uh, any guys I'm missing in there? No, not really. I mean, and I pretty much agree with everything you're saying. I, you know, the KD situation, I'm not going to start rumors or anything. Who really knows what's going on? But it doesn't seem to it's me a like hamstring. It's a hamstring injury, which yeah, those are I, delicate. Right. And to me, it seems like he's – my look at it right now is that he's not going to take any unnecessary risks because he feels like he's an NFL player. So if he thinks he's going to re-injure himself, he's not going to go out there. That's what I would say right now. So, I mean, you know. I think that we have a good wide receiver core without him. Um, if he plays great, if he doesn't, I still feel pretty good about our chances. King KB asks, knocking on wood with this question, can you walk through what bowl eligibility looks like this season? I believe for Pac-12 teams, the bar was three wins, but does that bar change as games get canceled? 
If, for example, CU ends up winning four games, could we already be bowl eligible with two wins? Or a more likely scenario, given the luck our program has, if COVID con- continues to be a challenge to our opponents and all re- remaining regular season games are canceled, is there a scenario where we could end the season undefeated and not bowl eligible? Thanks, guys. Uh, the Pac-12 didn't say you need to win a certain amount number of games. They just games. They said you just need to be 500 to be bowl yeah. eligible. And what I will say is, if the rest of the regular season games are canceled, I feel pretty highly that we probably won't be getting a bowl game, regardless of our record, anyways. Um, yeah, you just have to finish 500. I mean, I will say I'd be surprised if all the rest of the games are canceled. I mean, especially next week, USC seems to have done a very good job handling COVID thus far, um, along with you know. A, from what we've seen so far, CU hasn't had major issues either. So I'd be pretty surprised, you know, Jinx, sorry if it happens, but um, I'd be pretty surprised at this point if that game at the very least didn't get off. Yeah, we've we've been pessimistic all along in terms of CU getting to play all seven games. We just right. said from the jump that's not going to happen. But right. especially now with this non-conference uh, ruling from the presidents and chancellors, you know, CU's not going to – if they're not testing positive, they're not going to just – wait around they're they're gonna figure something out to get some more games in yeah buffalo blood had three questions for us number one if cu is leading into the fourth quarter how many points do we consider enough to bring (laughs) in a lot of the backups for experience exposure oh i don't know what the number is we haven't gotten there yet (laughs) at least four scores right i mean you can score so quickly in college football you yeah. To be able to rotate going into the fourth quarter, you got to have a really big lead. Yeah, and I would say, you know, you looking at the remaining schedule, there's not an obvious, yeah, we're going to be up four scores going into the fourth quarter against any of these games. I mean, leading up to the season, we kind of talked about how the front portion of the schedule was the softest. I mean, we we have tougher games coming up. If we're up by four scores in the fourth quarter against anyone we play the rest of the way, this team is really going to be doing some work. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a feel thing, right? When you look at the clock and kind of realize what the score is, it's hard to have a definitive yeah. answer here. Yeah, I guess unless, you know, maybe we, we are playing a non-conference game somewhere along the way as a replacement, that would be the most likely scenario. What about if it's on the losing side of things, if you're down big? I know CU fans don't want to think about that scenario. Yeah. What is that? Yeah, is I mean, sim- similar? Sure. Yeah, I mean, once the game is out of hand, of course, you want to get guys experience. Darrell has talked at length. I mean, it's the only thing he talks at length about is wanting to get guys um, more experience in the program in, in this, you know, free year, basically. So yeah, I mean, yes, sure. If we're down by 30 in the fourth quarter, somewhere along the way, yeah, I think probably you're going to play some younger guys. Absolutely. The second question from Buffalo blood is what would it take to get Brendan Lewis in for a series or two? Buffalo blood's not going to like our answer here because it's not happening. If uh, why, <laughs> why would you want him to play a series or two right now? Yeah. Well, th- those reps would go to Tyler Lytle, obviously. Um, yeah. Why Tyler? Because fans are excited about Brendan Lewis. Yeah, I know. I just mean like you're taking, you're taking the ball away from your best player right now. I mean, Sam is playing as well as anyone. So unless it's a situation where we're up by 40, I don't see why you would want to do that. I could see the fan maybe going, okay, well, I just want to see Brendan Lewis out there and get him a little experience, but I hate to break it to you. It's not going to happen unless some unfortunate things happen injury wise there. Yeah. The third question from Buffalo blood is, can you ask Sam Neuer, the destroyer, if he would stay, if this year goes well, 
can you ask the same question of the other seniors? And along those lines, we got a question from Colorado boy. He asked, since playing during the 2020 season doesn't count against your eligibility, does that allow Neuer to return for one more year? So, yeah, I mean, I think this eligibility thing has been more confusing than it needs to be. Basically, this is like a free season. So everybody could theoretically come back in 2021 and have the same classification, you know, that they have right now. So obviously Sam Norris could come back and be a senior. And I don't want to answer this question for Sam, but you'd have to assume that he would come back. He's not an NFL prospect, despite how well he's played. Right. I mean, unless he somehow becomes one. Yeah, I would I would think that he would come back. I mean, he waited patiently for this job for a long time. You think he's just going to walk away from it as soon as he gets it locked in? Yeah, I mean, I think you can ask him this question now, but the answer will probably be different in four weeks, right? I mean, you have to see how the season plays out. I mean, does he come back if he ends up struggling down the stretch? Maybe not. Um, does he end up coming back if he plays outrageous and somehow is considered to be an NFL draft prospect? Probably not. But I think if you asked him right now, yeah, of course you would say he's coming back. We got another question about the other seniors. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Our Jack three also had three questions for us. His first one here from your perspective as journalists, do you notice anything different in terms of press conferences or player interactions when teams are winning compared to when they are struggling? So unfortunately, this year, our interactions have all been over Zoom, which is not the yeah. most personal thing ever. You know, they, they kind of button it up for, for us in those press conferences. So not as much as you would think. You know, Dor- Durrell and, and CU's players have been relatively subdued in those postgame <laughs> Yeah, Carson, I was I, listening to Carson Wells the other day, and I was like, it's all right to say like 12 words or more, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah he's a, he likes to let his uh, actions do, do the speaking yeah. for him. Uh, but usually what's funny in those post-game press conferences, like the mics go off and then the players are back to celebrating again. Um, where you see it like really different in terms of winning and losing is when there's a losing streak and you just, the players and coaches just dread any media responsibility. And how could you blame them? I wouldn't want to talk yeah. to anybody if I was struggling I mean, either. This is a question that you could answer just by your own actions, right? I mean, just in life in general, if things are going well, you're more likely to be in a good mood, willing to do things that you normally wouldn't have longer conversations that you don't really care about, et cetera, et cetera. Right. That's just life. When things are not going your way, that typically doesn't happen. I mean, it's no different for a football player than it is for any real life situation. Carl Jarrell though, like you can tell he's really not going to change his demeanor much in press conferences, but he's even kind of hinted at it. You know, it goes back to his, upbringing his dad's a naval officer he's just been taught that's how you're supposed to lead people is to be even keel but you know deep inside of him there's a lot going on uh we heard his post-game speech to the team it wasn't anything over the top but you know there was there was emotion involved in that yeah mike mcintyre i would say though he got pretty high <laughs> or low which again you know probably not the best example to be setting when you're leading 18 to 22 year olds yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, everyone has a little bit of that. Darrell obviously is far less so. Um, you know, I don't know how Darrell handled the end of his tenure in UCLA. He's obviously much more even keeled, but yeah, McIntyre was to the extreme, and Hawkins was also Hawkins was even worse for yeah. sure. All right, question two from RJack three: Is Carl Darrell the most handsome coach you has ever had? 
Given Darrell's choice for attire for media appearances, a heather gray hoodie this week's scrum, or a baggy navy blue Nike jacket, one of his first appearances on the Pac-12 network, do we think Darrell shops at Kohl's, Costco, Shields, or some other retailer? <laughs> Who gives more dad vibes? Carl Durrell or the original Tad the Dad Boyle? <laughs> Who Dad Boyle is Dad Boyle is the ultimate. He'll never be tough. Um, I know, I know, I kind of like that Carl doesn't wear CU stuff a lot because it really pisses the fan base off. <laughs> and I always like to see people mo- moan and whine about dumb things. So I enjoy that. We're not done with our Jack's question here, by the way, Tyler. He <laughs> continues. Oh, who, wins, who wins in a press conference apparel showdown? Carl Durrell or Mark Wetmore? Is Carl Durrell just cooler than the rest of us and doesn't try as hard but saves it for when he whips out the all-black look on game days? Is Carl and black going to be synonymous with tiger and red? Wow, that's that's quite the question right there. That is when that might be one of my favorite questions ever asked. So well done, sir. <laughs> oh, man. Tiger and red. Come on now. We, we, we won two games here. Let's not let's not get crazy <laughs> with it. I think he's just saying that he's always going to wear all black on game day, okay. which um, is a thing that I usually typically do as well. I, I wear all black almost in life in general. But yeah, 90 percent of my clothes are CU clothes and they're usually black um, because I am a huge hater of the yellow CU stuff because we aren't yellow. It drives me crazy. Um, so most of my stuff is either black or gray. Yeah, I mean, I'm all about, you can't see me right now, but I'm wearing what I always am wearing pretty much, which is a sweatshirt and sweatshorts. Comfort is key. People try too hard with the way they look sometimes. It's one of those things that I think is dying over generations. And I'm definitely firmly on the front lines of comfort over everything. The conference apparel showdown between Carl Durrell and and Wetmore, I got to give that one to Durrell. Wetmore, I mean, he's a legend, but he gives zero effort. <laughs> uh, Carl Durrell gives a little bit. You know, at least he's got the the different uh, mask that he wears on game day. I know he wears like the what do they call that? Like the the surgical type mask when he's yeah. at practice. It's not not maybe the. I'll put it this way: Mel Tucker's not wearing that mask at practice. No, probably not. But I just upset some people by saying that. So, uh, do we miss anything in here? Probably. I think he, I think he shops at JC Penny. That's my prediction. I think we got, I mean, that is true for sure. I mean, he definitely, listen, if there's anything I know about Carl Durrell, it's that he's not shopping at Gucci. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he, he does have a, a dad vibe for sure, mm-hmm. which is a good quality. You know, I think people look at that as a negative with recruiting, but if you have the, the recruiting assistants that have the juice to bring some of the swagger, they, they can really sell the kid. And then you get that final in-office sit-down with Carl Durrell at the end of your official visit. That's where Carl Durrell, I think, sells the parents, which I think that could be a good dynamic once they actually can get some recruits on campus. Andy is a legit father figure. I mean, you can have that from a guy with a lot of energy, too, of course. But, I mean, Carl Durrell, if you know anything anything about him, he's obviously going to make an impact on these kids' lives down the line. I mean, he may be, be successful. He may not. We'll see, but I'd be shocked if we found out long-term that the kids on the team didn't like him. Darrell and Boyle both have this thing where 
it's like I can see them coming out with the line. I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. Can't you just see that coming out of both yeah, their, their sure. mouths? <laughs> that's the ultimate. Tad would, pro- Tad would probably have a few more swear words associated that's true, with that's it. True. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. All right. Question three from our Jack three. From your vantage point, what has explained the Buffs letting sizable leads shrink to six and three-point wins, respectively, over the last two weeks? Should the fan base worry that the Buffs have let their leads vanish, or is it just the normal swing of a college football game? Tyler, before I send this over to you, I want to flip this question on its head and get your thoughts on this, too. Had CU come back in both those games to win by six and three points, Given that both games are underdogs going in, will we be looking at both those games differently? If they had come uh, back, if they were down and they come came back to win by those margins, I guess yeah. Just because I mean the 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 ending result is always what you see, yeah. But I think it would be minimal, honestly. I mean, I think people are frustrated with how the game is closed, but ultimately we're two and zero, oh, and I don't see a whole lot of complaining overall. I just think they want to see finishing, you know, just like nitpicky stuff, which there's always going to be nitpicky stuff. People would be talking about how slowly we started if it was the reverse. Um, So I could see maybe a little more positivity behind it, but I don't think it would be um, too much different. Okay. Well, I mean, Carl Durrell's frustrated too. I mean, he's talked about the fact that we've got our hands on all these balls defensively. If we get some of those interceptions, it's not, it's not going to be a close game. And I, and I talked about this on Twitter. I I like to see that. I mean, it's good to see that he's frustrated by the end of the games because you know, that's going to bite you in the ass at some point. You can't do that every single game. Um, First of all, you're not going to be up by 20 in every single game. Uh, So you need to find a way to close when you're, in other ways. And yeah, I mean, you just don't sure the goal, the end result is to win, but that doesn't mean you have to let them come all the way back. (laughs) Yeah. And then you can also sit back and look around at the rest of the conference. You know, USC almost loses to what we think is a bad Arizona team. Cal, who is supposed to be pretty good, loses to what we think is a bad UCLA team. Oregon. I mean, they were, they were put to the test by Stanford for two and a half quarters. Uh, they they put it on late against Washington State, but that wasn't a great game either. So no. it's not like you look across the conference and go, you know, there's teams that are much better than CU, at least through two yeah. weeks. Yeah, well, I mean, Washington was pretty ugly in that Oregon State game. Um, there, You know, I, I think just, just this whole year in general, it's not just a Pac-12. We've seen it all across the country. There's been a lot of ugly football. I mean, this is not as clean a season as you would typically see for obvious reasons. So it's not just us. And I, I personally, I want to say something real quick here. I've spent a lot of time complaining about how the staff has handled the end of games. But at some point, it's on the players, too. I mean, you have to make smart plays. I can't tell you how many tackles have been missed um, letting someone get out of bounds when you didn't have to. Just keep them inside. Keep them inside. Keep the clock running. The game would be a lot more comfortable. You know, so, you know, part of it is scheme, and they're definitely taking their foot off the gas a little bit, especially offensively play-calling-wise. But, you know, it's on the players, too, to make a play occasionally. And if if you're going to chastise CU for getting conservative with their play-calling, were you the same people that was chastising them when KU and Oregon State had huge comebacks? And they didn't do that. They didn't try to bleed the clock the way they did. It's always easier hindsight's 2020 20, right to just kind of nitpick whatever didn't work but yeah you know had they, had they started throwing deep balls in that game and Stanford comes back to win you're hammering the staff right I, I guess for I don't think anyone is asking for that just to be clear I mean okay I think you need to throw in some RPO some play action just ha- the defense has to think there's a chance 
you're going to pass. You know what I mean? Like it's easy to play defense when you know you're going to run it up the middle with a guy who's 160 pounds three times in a row. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you throw in an RPO every once in a while, or you throw in a play action pass to a tight end and a short screen, whatever, something like that, or where the thought is in your mind, you do that once or twice throughout the fourth quarter. I think the result really ends up being a lot different. Mile High Crew asked, I don't know much about Coach Meets coaching style, and I know it's only been two games, but the defensive backs seem to not turn their head around when defending the pass, and that usually leads to pass interference. Is this on coaching or are players just naturally playing how they play? I know you you, you already kind of alluded to this, that, that you're frustrated by this, Tyler. Yeah. I mean, how could you not be, right? I mean, it's there's been a lot of complaining about what the calls have been, which is fine. I mean, you can love the call or don't love the call, but the call doesn't get made if you turn your head. It's the number one part of technique that they tell you when you're playing in secondary. If you turn your head on that play, it's not a pass interference. You don't leave it up to the ref to make a crappy call. Just do what you're supposed to do, and it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. Now, this was a complaint, I think, from some Arizona folks about Coach Mead, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's the concern is that this is something that's actually being taught, which makes literally zero sense to me. I'll have to delve further into this. You know, part of it, too, is because a few of these guys have started a few games, all of a sudden you think that CU secondary is is experienced, and it's just not. Darian Rexstar is the only one that was really experienced coming into the season. Um, Maybe that's a bad point because he's kind of struggled aside from creating some turnovers. But, you know, these guys will will grow from that. Remember, Kenneth Trawley was just – you wanted to pull your hair out his first three years and finally came together for him at the end. You hope it doesn't take that long. Yeah. And I don't think still in the league. Still in the league, which is crazy to me. Yeah. But, but Christian Gonzalez, even though he's been picked on, you can tell he's going to be a really good player. Oh yeah. I have zero issue. My, I don't have a single worry about Christian Gonzalez long-term. He's going to be a special player. Another question about the defensive backs. Buff predictor asked, it seems like the defensive secondary has been in position to get a number of interceptions, but just hasn't executed. Putting opposing offenses into a situation where they have to be in catch-up mode in one dimensional should present opportunities, not be a liability for the CU defense. How much of this is due to limited preseason preparation? If CU does indeed end up with a bye week this Saturday, wouldn't it be a good time for the secondary to do some ball drills and hopefully help fix the issue? I'm sure they're going to be doing ball drills. <laughs> I'm Darren, sure they're Darren doing ball drills us, there was a game. Yeah, Darian Rakestraw told us there's been an added period in there just for that this week. So yeah, I did, see, I did see Coach Meek call out Mark Perry on Twitter saying uh, he wanted a pass defense added to his stats. And he said, well, if you would have caught it, I guarantee they would have put the interception on there, which, which <laughs> made me laugh. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you have to make – listen, they're on defense for a reason a lot of the time. Hands isn't exactly the strong suit of most defensive players, but you do have to make a play. You make one of those plays in the CU game last week, the game isn't close. We're not stressed. We're not talking about how they weren't able to close the game the way that you want to see. Um, one of those plays, they win comfortably, and you're not talking about it. No one's asking them to be perfect. You just got to make one of those – when the ball touches your hands, you got to find a way to get one of those a game. In terms of the limited preseason, I don't know how much that plays into. That's one of those things you can actually work on with with a couple of your teammates is ball right. skill type stuff. Buff Predictor also asked, does the shortened season and other possible factors change the decision-making process for those players considering declaring for the NFL draft? I'm thinking specifically of Nate Landman, Will Sherman, Mustafa Johnson, and KD Nixon. 
Now, most of those guys, even going into this, we expected it was going to be their last year no matter what. Will Sherman, not necessarily. Yeah, Will is a little undersized, so I think measurables are going to be huge for him. I, I love Will, and he's kind of in that same – David Bakhtiari was a fourth rounder, fifth rounder, I forget, one fourth, of those two. Fourth, fourth yeah. Because of that same issue, because he was 6'4", when you know the NFL is off, you're not 6'6", you can't be good. Um, so, obviously, David has proven that to be dumb, which no surprise there. You mean if you're good, you're good. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's he's going to have a limited – draft selection process like he's not going to be a first round pick just because of his size so um you know if, if he's going to get drafted you certainly can't argue if he decides to leave obviously um but i think there's development for him to be had still nate i would be pretty shocked if he comes back i mean i think the way that he's played he's established himself as a def- you know as a guy who's going to get drafted um mustafa i'm a little more iffy on because honestly I don't think he, he was hurt last year he hasn't been fantastic this year he's undersized he might be a guy who you could see return potentially yeah I, I just would be surprised you just get the vibe with some guys that they feel like this is the last this this is the last ride they're ready to to go challenge themselves with something else um Nate Landon yeah People were wondering about that quarantine period he had. From what I understand, he never tested positive. It's that he went back home to Northern California when uh, the the announcement of the season being postponed till 2021 came out. And so I think he's he toyed with the idea of leaving after last season. But you know he does love CU and, and one, it felt like he had unfinished business. Katie mm-hmm. Nixon, I mean, he declared last year. It'd be pretty surprising for a guy to do that one year and then be back on campus uh, a year and a half yeah. later still. Yes, it would. And me, yeah. Yeah, I'd be, I would be very, very, of all of them, I would be the most surprised if KD was back. I'm, I'll, I'll say that. Well, and I'll, I'll add that Nate Landman's not coming back either. Yeah. He, he's gone. I think still, I would put, I would still think that Mustafa Johnson is most likely gone. And then Will Sherman, in terms of Buff Predictor's initial question, I think it could affect a Will Sherman to not have 12, 13 games on tape versus however many they're going to get this year. I don't know. I mean, if all six show the way that he's been playing so far, it's not going to matter. <laughs> okay. Dangerous asked, what have you seen from Mark Perry? I expected a bigger jump out of him based on the end of last year. I would agree. Uh, he's he's among the most concerning out there for me right now. I, I will say he got quite a bit better as the season went on last year. Uh, it's a new coach you know he's playing a new position as well so it might just take him a little bit of time to get used to everything for sure but yeah I mean there's no doubt that uh I expected big things out of Mark this year and so far he has not delivered what was he asked to do last year late in the season he was asked to play the star position primarily on third down in passing Mm -hmm. situations pin his ears back he's really speedy really athletic he's gonna look good you know, in that type of situation. Now, like to your point, it's a whole different role that he's playing. He's got to play a lot more in coverage this year. And so it's it's a transition period there. People forget he had one start under his belt coming into this year. So yeah. I, I do expect him to get better. But yeah, he hasn't played great so far. Davis Buff asked, it is encouraging to see the defense fix problems from the UCLA game. Against Stanford, we had better screen recognition, fewer broken plays and fewer legit pass interference penalties. In parentheses, he said the PI flag on Gonzalez was not legit. He asked, what are the most encouraging things you see about the coaching staff 
after two games? Um, I would say the most encouraging thing for me is that we're aggressive. Uh, it hasn't necessarily worked yet. I mean, we've blitzed a lot. Uh, we need a little more out of the front four in terms of getting to the quarterback on their own, I think. But they've been aggressive for the most part, and I like that. I mean, you're obviously going to have some blown plays and some big plays, um, but they've also created turnovers in the first game and caused a lot of havoc for the quarterback. I, I just like that style of defense. You're out there to make things uncomfortable for the for the offense. So well, I don't like to see defenses who are soft in coverage and rush the passer with three guys. I just think that's counterintuitive to success, especially with how good offenses are now. And before we get into this next question, wouldn't you say that most of the time this defense has played better than what the final score indicates? Absolutely. Yes. It, it that, that, cause it's, you know, I watched you, you cover the game and yeah, you're reporting on the score. You're looking at the score, whatnot, but when the game ends, you're kind of like, wow, I feel like the defense played better than what that, that point total is. Yeah. I mean, obviously when you have a huge lead, you know, we can argue about semantics on how, conservative they are down the stretch but you are going to give up more yards and more points no matter what you do when you're up by 25 because you can't fight oh okay this game's over that that happens to every team that's up by a bunch now you have to fight that and get that killer instinct to some degree but I mean just the natural flow of the game I mean there's a reason that all the best passers in the NFL play for bad teams in terms of yardage because you're playing from behind the whole game and defenses are going to let you throw and try to tighten up in the red zone. That's just the nature of football. So yes, I mean, they've given up a lot of points. I I don't know what the percentage is, but a large, very large majority of it is in the fourth quarter when they're up. All right, Tyler, buckle up. We're we're getting into it here. Okay. Trapped in Buckeye land asked if the defense doesn't improve, Ah. do you think Carl Durrell moves on from Tyson Summers? I mean, sure, if the defense doesn't improve, they get they end up terrible. Yes, I guess the worst case result. Um, I don't see how you're asking that question with the way that we played the majority of that Stanford game, though. I mean, we'll see how everything plays out, but there was a dramatic improvement from game one to game two. Um, a lot less defensive miscues in terms of where you're supposed to be on the field and scheme and all that kind of stuff. Um, we'll see how it plays out, but yeah, I think we're a long ways away from being worried about Tyson Summers. You're kind of following along there. He says, if the defense doesn't improve, well, they just did from week one to week two. Yeah, pretty noticeably <laughs> as well. <laughs> and, and they clearly did last season as well. Uh, again, this is a, a pretty inexperienced secondary. Uh, you, you do worry a little bit if Mustafa and Nate leave next year. I think the front seven, you're going to have to fill in some spots there. You're going to need guys to really step up because those two guys obviously have been you know, all conference type guys. So that'll be a concern, but uh, I like Tyson Summers. I like his attitude as a defensive coordinator. You have to have a little uh, asshole in you, I guess is the right way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> and not, not to say that he's like that all the time, but you got to have that oh, a little yeah. bit of that edge. No, for you. sure. Yeah. You're, you're on defense. There's gotta be some nasty. Yeah. So, but uh, very premature on that end. And again, they're two and zero right now. If they don't lose a game right now. How are you firing any coaches? You're not. All right, moving along. Catnip Lover four twenty asked, "Can we get some background on Curtis Appleton, the walk-on playing star?" 
Tyler, this is why people listen to this podcast is for breakdowns yeah. of Curtis, Curtis Appleton. Appleton, baby. So Curtis Appleton, Tyler, is a Denver native. Do you know where you went to high school? Curtis Appleton went to. We've turned this into a CU Sports Jeopardy. Valor? It's a Colorado high school that's prominent, but not Valor. I can't. I don't remember. He's part of the Cherry Creek gang. Oh, he is. Okay. He is. Did you know that he had eighty that. tackles? Do you know? Did you know that he had eighty tackles and five interceptions as a senior? He played some running back earlier in his high school career. He was also a track athlete at Cherry Creek. Nice. More this more was, Creek guys, the better. Did you know Tyler that he initially went to Washburn in Kansas in 2017? but then joined CU as a walk-on in 2018, played four games on special teams last year, was a defensive scout of the week winner three times. And so far this year, he's played 13 defensive snaps. That's your breakdown of Curtis Appleton. <laughs> there we go, baby. Love it. Do you have any uh, anything to add on, on Mr. Appleton? Uh, no, not at all. He, you know, <laughs> I think people are asking about him because he had one really bad play in the game, but like, Come on, man. What are we expecting? <laughs> if you play a walk on that star, you know, you got to got to temper the expectations. You, he, first of all, they put him in a terrible position. That scheme was like, OK, go guard this wide receiver. It's like, no. <laughs> I almost hesitate to say this because it, it sounds negative towards Curtis Appleton. I don't mean it to sound that way. But even going back to last year, they had a walk on starting at safety. Maybe recruit more guys to that position. Just yeah. maybe. Yes. Seems. Yeah. I mean, listen, there's nothing to do with Curtis. It's not on him. He's just out there doing what he's asked to do. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's become clear that we can't stay healthy at that position and maybe we should start taking some more guys. CS buff asked as CU's current recruiting class is mainly filled in. Should the buffs continue winning this year? Will it have much of an impact on this year's class? And along those lines, golf pro buff asked, if we become bowl eligible this year, does that carry some positive momentum in recruiting, even if we are unable to play in a bowl game? Um, in terms of this year, I think it, it's probably helped with Arden Walker, right, to, to win these games and look pretty good. Had they come out and looked horrible, maybe he's not looking to stay in state. But aside from that, I don't really think it affects this year's class much. If he commits, I'll say it affected him. <laughs> Let's just put okay. it that way. Okay. Like, he's certainly holding off for a reason. It always is positive for recruiting when you win, and that's been yeah. the reason that they've had a hard time recruiting well for the last yeah. 15 years. Yeah, I mean, of course it helps, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, do I think it helps? If you don't end up playing in a bowl game, it might help in the short term, but, you know, no one's going to care that you went three and two in a shortened season down the line. So it's got to be prolonged. It just helps so much if you're – a CU assistant or Carl Drell. And even though you can't get them on campus right now, you get them on a zoom call and you go, look, you know, I understand Colorado has been down, but look at what yeah. just happened on the For field sure. this year. Right. If they didn't have that to sell, it's tough. It's, yeah, it's this, this, that's what I'm saying. I think it, it affects this class because you can talk about it in the moment, but I don't see 2022 guys coming in and being like, wow, you went three and two last year. You know what I mean? Like there has to be prolonged success moving forward. That's what really matters. Well, maybe you get on that Zoom call with them and make some impression when you go three and two that maybe you you wouldn't if you went zero and five though, right? Well, sure, it doesn't hurt absolutely. But I mean, if you if we go three and two this year and we're recruiting that class next year and we and we go two and ten, 
you know, you're going to lose all that momentum. You have to continue to win games. Recruiting is going to be really strange in 2022. If that yeah. 85 scholarship limit is the way that it has been, because again, like we talked about eligibility this year, doesn't count towards that. You're going to have this backup. You're going to have guys that typically would sign power five. that are going mountain West and guys that would normally go mountain West that are going to go FCS. And you're going to have this trickle down effect with guys. And it's going to suck for the fringe guys in that 2022 class. Cause they didn't, they didn't ask for this pandemic. Sure. Uh, yes, I think it'll suck for those guys specifically, but it'll be good for college football, right? More parity is that is that good yeah. for college football? I guess from I, the top, I think so. maybe yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think everyone's getting pretty tired of Clemson and Ohio State and Alabama and Georgia. I mean, they have every year those four teams have half of the excellent players in each class. You know, the rest of the, it's it's almost gotten to the point that the rest of the games are somewhat meaningless because you watch them play everyone else, and it's like in a completely different sport. I will say this. If you're a CU and you're taking early commits for 2022, you better love that guy. You don't want to take any guy that you're, you're borderline with because yep. again, the numbers that might not be there. HR buff asked, tell me more about Ty Robinson from Eagle Crest. Where will he play? What should Buffs fans expect from him? Thanks. I think we touched on this last show. He's going to play receiver for the Buffs. Uh, yeah. What, what are your overall thoughts on, on Ty Robinson? I, honestly, I don't know a ton about him football-wise, but I've seen him bas- play basketball, and he's a freak athlete. I mean, there's no doubt he's an athletic kid. Um, anytime you watch guys that end up playing football for us, athletic on a basketball court, I love that. Because the level of – I know I'm biased, but the level of athleticism it takes to be an elite basketball player is just different. Um, if you're showing out on a basketball court, you really have true elite athleticism. And to me, it means that you can play multiple positions in, in, on a football field. So I love that. His father played linebacker at Oklahoma State and in the NFL for a while. So he's got some good bloodlines there. Yeah, 6'4", 40-inch vertical. Yeah, be and that's legit. that's legit, by the way. I mean, I've stood right next to him. He's a big kid, and he 100% has a 40-inch vertical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's going to be a tough matchup for defensive backs once he polishes himself. Again, you know, splitting time between basketball and football, some of those nuances that you get yeah. by always playing on the seven-on-seven circuit. You know, he's going to need to play catch up there a little bit. Yeah, and, he, and he's got to, he's got to gain weight. You know, run up and down the court doesn't help with with that side of it he, either. He has to gain some weight, but honestly, he's not skinny. I mean, he, he's a, he's a guy who looks like he can play football pretty quick, in my opinion. Um, he made the right choice too, for what it's worth. He's a freak athlete, but again, you talk about six, four, that's a tough transition at the next level for him basketball wise. So his, his upside in football is higher. So I, I was happy to see him decide to play football in college. At one point he had a, a basketball offer for Minnesota. I don't know if that was no, yeah, ever he's, committable. He's a, no, he's a legit D one prospect. I, I think Minnesota is probably a little high. I mean, he, he could have definitely been a good mid major player. Mountain West, I think would have been really happy to have him. Um, but again, his his ceiling is higher as a football player, or uh, yeah, as a football player in my in my estimation, just because of size wise, it's going to be tough for him to translate at the college level at six four. Given that there's a little bit of a logjam at receiver at CU, this might be the perfect guy to bring in, right? Because he's going to have to kind of polish his game up a little bit. So you're not expecting him to maybe to be, you know, out there like a Brendan Rice day one, but yeah, uh, you know, I think his upside is going to be pretty high. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of a log jam there for sure. I mean, there's going to be space available with KD gone. I mean, you know, I guess those guys are all playing this year. Remind me, Maurice Bell is a junior. Junior, yeah. And Dimitri is a sophomore. 
Dimitri's a sophomore. Yeah. So yeah. So obviously, and they're keeping that eligibility. So yeah, there is there is a couple. And Daniel Arias is a sophomore. Junior. Junior. Okay. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there's there's a couple years for all those guys, but I mean, I think you're right. I think a he's a guy who can help you on special teams right away. In my opinion, um, he could play special teams. Um. So yeah, might take a couple years for him to get there, but and, and ultimately he could end up playing somewhere else. We'll see. I mean, he he has the skills to play in multiple positions. L.E. Buff asked, what should our recruiting rank target be for our 2022 class nationally and in the Pac-12? And then under over on how many four-star recruits commit in 2022. So what's going to be interesting, we were just had that whole discussion about 2022 recruiting and the fact that you're going to have a hard time signing a lot of guys. I've always complained that I feel like the rankings are weighted too heavily on quantity over sometimes quality, right? If you sign 25 guys versus a 15 class, well, that that class of 15 could just be better overall, but sometimes you're, you're penalized for having a smaller class. Mm-hmm. So if you have some class that doesn't have a lot of juniors this year, I'm trying to think, do the math. If you don't have yeah. a lot of juniors this year, you could sign more in the 2022 class. Yeah. Why don't we just, why don't we just make it simple and say, let's assume it was a regular class. What would you like to see? I mean, cause who knows how it's going to end up okay. numbers wise. Uh, realistically close to, you know, 40 inside the top 40. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how realistic that I would, I would have said forties, forties is where you want to be. And I would say pretty much the same every single year in that regard. I think that's a reasonable estimate. And then in terms of PAC 12, you want to be competing with the middle tier of the conference, Arizona, uh, UCLA, you know, that level of program, Cal, you know, you want you want to be in that, in that tier, Arizona state to some degree, although they've kind of upped their game there in the last few years. Um, you, you want to, it's gotta be a single digit. You don't want to be 10 or 11 or 12 in the conference and recruiting. Um, I think the goal is always to finish sixth or seventh. And if you can exceed that every couple of years with some big names, that's huge. And then of course, as you know, if, if you continue to do that, the, the expectations will get higher over time because you'll win. I mean, if this team finishes sixth or seventh in their recruiting rankings three or four years in a row, they're going to win some games. They're going to go to a bowl game or two. And then once you do that, you can start moving your way up the chain. Yeah, because there's typically, what, nine bowl eligible teams in the Pac-12 right. in an average year? Yeah. So kind of the the crawl before you walk, walk before you run type of situation. In terms of four-star recruits, I mean, they never really get more than about – what's the most they've had in the last 15 years, like four? Where things are at right now, the over-under is probably one. You know, if you get two, the class is going to be pretty good. But if there's smaller classes nationally, there's going to be less spots at other schools. So you have maybe a better chance with some blue-chip recruits in 2022, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's all – we're all guessing here, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't know exactly how it's going to play out. Um, you know, there's some available talent in Colorado, so that could help as well. Well, I think what most CU fans probably want more than anything is just to win some more of these battles with other Pac-12 teams, yeah. not named Oregon State. You know, uh, Caleb Elam's or if it's normal year and he can take an official visit out to Boulder, does that maybe change his mind? Maybe it's a different scenario. A lot mm-hmm. of these kids have opted to stay close to home that – you know, the, the staff 
early on looked like they had a pretty good chance at. So yeah, that'll be an interesting part of it too. Yeah. I mean, which is why I think you have to get Arden because if you're losing out and using it as an excuse, you better not lose Arden when that's you're saying that's the reason you can't get a guy. Well, then you better get that guy. Right. Right. That leads us to our next question. Jack CR 708 asked top recruits. We are going after for the rest of 2021 and some prospects to keep an eye on for the class of 2022. Just talked about Arden Walker, offensive lineman, Edgar Amaya, former KU commit. It sounds like he might be close to, to committing. He was looking for a commitment at it the other day on Twitter. I saw. So those are the main guys right now. I, I think it might behoove CU, just what we were talking about earlier, maybe take another safety in this class. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, and I know you talked about, we already have trust in Oliver coming in. I don't really care. <laughs> Get another one as a junior college player because you need an immediate impact guy there. We just haven't been able to stay healthy. I mean, even, even with like, let's assume Chris Miller somehow stayed on the field for a prolonged period of time. Like there have been injuries left and right. Um, you might potentially lose some guys there. I mean, Darian Rakestraw, we'll see. I mean, you would assume he would come back, but you just never know. Um, yeah, I mean, it, at this point, <laughs> like I'm, we're, we're having the exact same conversation every single year about safety depth. Uh, take an extra guy if you have to. Yeah. Jack CR 708 also asked, is Alan Baugh still expected to be a defense lineman at CU? Seems like majority of his snaps are as an offensive tackle. Is he even a starter on defense? Uh, I'll have to look into that. As far as I know, he's still projected as a D lineman, but uh, yeah. yeah, he has been playing I, on the offensive line. And we're starting to see why he ended up looking at Colorado, right? I mean, there was some concern long-term about just his overall athleticism as a D lineman. What I will say though, is if you watch our D line currently right now, he fits into that mold, right? I mean, we don't have explosive athletes. We have guys that are going to control the line of scrimmage. So he, he does, in my opinion, fit into that mold a little bit better than some other programs. Dangerous asked, should Phil Lindsay beg to get out of Denver? Pathetic that my team, the Broncos, refused to give their best player the football. Hard to watch. You're over there nodding your head, Tyler. Yeah, absolutely. It's a joke. Four carries a game. They're bad. They should be running the ball as much as they possibly can. Drew Locke has been terrible. Make the game easier on him and run the ball. And I would suggest probably blocking someone as well, because every time Phil does touch it, he gets tackled three yards behind the line of scrimmage. He's a restricted free agent this year. What do you think the market's going to be like for Philly? Uh, honestly, not great. You know, I think I think that's the tough thing is it's going to take – he's going to be – I don't think anyone is going to give him starter money, right? And, and ultimately, I think that's probably what's best for him. I mean, I, I think he can be a complimentary back. Um, I think he's capable of play- – Playing and becoming a starter for sure, but I don't think he's going to get starter money because you know this. The fear with him is the same as it always was. He's small. He's not durable. Even though he barely ever gets hurt, um, you know it's that's the thing that sucks. That it, the Broncos were a perfect match for him. The fan base is in love with him. He's home. Like this, you know this it, perfect scenario for him, and they still refuse to use him. I don't see it being as obvious a fit wherever he goes next, but. I hope whoever does takes him uses him to his ability because he's a special player and you just got to continue to give him a rock. At the very least, Phil's going to get not the Brinks truck backed up into his front lawn, but he's going to get paid this offseason. Oh, I mean, for, yeah, yeah, he'll get paid for sure. It, it will be a very, very sad day if he ever does sign somewhere else just because he is 
He is Denver. He is Colorado. Yeah, and he'll end up going somewhere like New England where they'll pair him with Damian Harris, who's a mauler, and he'll absolutely blow up there in a complimentary role, kind of like Austin Eckler did with Melvin Gordon for a long time. And um, Broncos fans will be going bananas. So be prepared. It's going to happen. Call me Coach B asked, if you could choose any superpower, what would it be and why? What do you think, Tyler? Um, I think I would fly. I was leaning towards that too, but then I'm like, okay, once you're up there, like, are you going to be running into other birds? Is there a plane? Like, what, what's what's the I mean, the, the risk any, factor? What's the risk factor involved with that? How is it any different than walking around on the ground? There are people <laughs> and cars. You just avoid them. <laughs> well, I imagine you're you're going faster if you're flying, right? You can go as fast as you want. <laughs> Doesn't say you have to fly at 400. All right, Tyler, you can fly. Where's the first place you're flying? Oh man, good question. Hawaii. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna fly over the ocean. Yeah. You better bring some gel protein packs with you because that's quite a journey. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah, for sure. Not a lot of places to stop either. I'm gonna say the ability to predict the future. Nice. Not necessarily everyday occurrences or you know the outcomes of sporting events because I think that takes the fun out of life, right? But just being able to predict that. Amazon's going to be the next big thing. Just from a financial standpoint, make a lot of money, be able to kick your feet up a little bit and not stress as much yeah. about finances. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, the end result would be good. Right. But it would feel a little, uh, you know, like, I don't know if I'd feel good about myself. I'd be like, I didn't really do anything. <laughs> well, what if you, what if you use that money for good things? As right. Well, for sure. You know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Yeah. There you go. That's smart. I like it. See, now we're on the same page. I think the worst superpower to have would be to be able to read people's minds. I don't want to get oh. in other people's heads at all. Well, I think it would both be super entertaining and super scary. Yeah. All right. Mile High Crew asked, what are your top three Thanksgiving dishes? First off, Tyler, are you a big Thanksgiving guy? Is that something you look forward to? Sir, I'm 300 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. No one's going to give me shit about how much I eat one day a year. I'm going <laughs> all in. All right. So what's your, your go-to? Uh, stuffing. Stuffing is definitely okay. my favorite. Um, you know, I would, there's, I mean, everything is good. I, I wouldn't have any, a super favorite after that. Like turkey has to be done well. Right. Turkey, yeah. turkey can be rough if it's not cooked properly. Um, I'm still going to eat a million pieces of it no matter what but yeah stuffing is the one thing that i love the most uh, just i like to get a little bit of everything and then dessert give okay. me all the pie all the cake all that okay see you say everything's pretty much good see i think a lot of thanksgiving can be messed up if it's not cooked right and you start with the turkey. it's true it's over like in terms of quality of food it's typically a little overrated but I, I like turkey, but if it's dry turkey, get out of here. Yeah. I'm not I'm not wasting my time with that. Stuffing, same thing. If it's really dry, eh. But yeah. if it's if it's good stuffing, I mean that's that's definitely in my top three. Luckily, Ooh. my mom is the world's greatest stuffing maker, so we always get mom. we always get the big package of King's Hawaiian buns, and that thing is just yeah, gone. King's, I love King's, King's Hawaiian buns. fire. I'm ready to throw out a recipe here on the podcast, Tyler. 
do it. I like it's it. A, it's a family recipe. It's doctored mashed potatoes. And I, I promise you, if you listen to this and you follow these steps, you're going to be thanking me because this is, this is, this is the go-to right here. All right. You're going to, you're going to get eight to 10 large potatoes. You're going to peel them. You're going to cut them up. You're going to cook them. You're going to mash them. Hold on. I'm going to stop you. What kind of potatoes? This is important. This actually is not that important. Oh, just, okay. Just anything. Big, you big bag. Anything. Idaho potatoes. Go with that if, okay. if that's available. And then, so you, you got your, your potatoes, they're cooked, they're mashed. You're going to throw in a package of cream cheese, one of the, the Philadelphia deals that you'd get, two cups of sour cream. You're going you're gonna to throw three tablespoons of chives in there. And then you're going to get a pretty healthy amount of garlic salt in there and put some in there, mix it up. If you've got a mixer, taste it, see if you need a little bit more garlic salt. Keep adding it until you feel like it's, it's got the proper amount. You're going to preheat the oven to 350. You're going to combine all that stuff into a grease pan. You're going to pour melted butter on top, a little paprika. You're going to bake that for 30 minutes. And uh, everybody at your, your, your Thanksgiving dinner table is going to be asking for seconds, guaranteed. And potatoes is tough to go wrong, for sure. I think I'm one of the few. I prefer red potatoes, okay. which, is, which is unusual. Um, I mean, all, all potatoes are obviously awesome. Um, but, yeah do it differently that sounds like my stomach would not forgive me for at least two weeks but again i'm, <laughs> I'm going all out for thanksgiving just try it tyler try it all right so before we uh, get confused for a cooking podcast here we'll move along actually no we've got another uh off topic here these are always fun movie buff asked if you couldn't live in colorado which other state would you choose to live in and why not nebraska uh, i mean well, the last part me- of that come on let me let me start it off by saying I could tell you the reasons why I would live in Nebraska, and it's because I was incapacitated and my wife moved me there against my will. <laughs> that is literally the one and only way. How about that? Yeah, you can't top that. <laughs> I mean, this is a specific region of a state, but California is too big just to say California. I'd say San Francisco. I love. Oh, I thought you were going to say San Diego, which would be my answer. Oh, okay, okay. So uh, I love the cool weather. But it's not freezing weather. Seafood, love seafood. And I like being by the water. I uh, love running on the pier there every time I go out there to cover a game. San Diego, though, would probably be number two, Tyler. Yeah, San Francisco would be extremely high on my list as well. Um, if, I don't know if it has to be year-round or not. Uh, but Seattle, Washington would be yeah. up there for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arizona would be high on the list as well. Um, just, you know, where my parents live on Long Island in New York. I don't think I would want to do that year round though. Um, and then the, the one sleeper I would say is South Carolina, Charleston, Kiwa okay. Island, phenomenal, amazing golf, great food. Yeah. I've heard good things there. about that. I haven't been out there before. Actually uh, we're hoping, you know, who knows what's going to happen here with the pandemic, but we're hoping to go down to San Diego early June. And uh, I've been meaning to run a marathon. I've done half marathons, 10 Ks, five Ks, and uh, I actually signed up for the Rock and Roll Marathon in San Diego, June fifth, I think it is. I so, won't see you there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, nice. I missed. Well, that's I, awesome. I mean, you yeah. cry. You, you're. I know you've gotten into it uh, pretty heavy a couple times since we've known each other. And when you get it going, you can certainly run them out there. So it wouldn't surprise me at all to see you get one done. Yeah, it's going to take a lot of training. So uh, just always good, like. As you get older, sometimes you lose that motivation in terms of, I need like a goal in front of me. So that's why I signed up for that. Uh, 
But uh, yeah, growing up in Phoenix, we could just get in a car, drive to San Diego. I really miss that. We would do that every summer. They didn't like us because it's like, oh, here's another another yeah. group from from Arizona invading our town. But yeah, that's an awesome <laughs> city. All right, moving along. PA Buff asked, turning to basketball, which is just around the corner. He had three questions. Can we run the table with our out-of-conference opponents? Of the seven of them, it seems like away at Kansas State and home with Washington, in parentheses, yes, that's actually an out-of-conference game, are the two toughest tests. So, Tyler, do you think they can run the table with their out-of-conference opponents? Uh, yeah, they, they certainly can. I mean, they're, I don't know if they'll be favored in that K-State game, but in a neutral court setting, they probably would be. Um, the non-conference schedule is pretty light. That that Washington game, though, unless something changed that I'm unaware of, is supposed to be in Vegas, so that's not a home game. Um, Washington is down this year. That That's a game we should win for sure. I would say CSU is more difficult of a game than that one just because of the rivalry factor. They always play us tough. That's typically a game we struggle with, even though um, they're not, you know, super dangerous overall you just csu is always a problem for us um those those are the two that i would be most concerned about is it i'm trying to look it up it's seven games yeah seven games we got we got uh uh we just went over this yesterday i bet you i could do it in my head hold on we have um south dakota and k-state in the little apple classic out there uh we have csu northern colorado and then omaha all at home in a row and then we go to Vegas for Washington and Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon, isn't that where Dan Marley is the head coach? Yeah, and and they're they're well, a they're especially dangerous at home because their fans are nuts. Uh, we don't have to worry about that. Obviously, no one does this year because there probably won't be fans. Um, they are not as dangerous as typical years. So I mean, they're pretty good. They're a pretty good mid major, but not a team that should beat us. How much does that affect to you, the fact that there's not a home court advantage this year? Because that obviously uh, they've actually, had one of the better – would you say CU has the second or third best home court in the Pac-12? Uh, second probably, yeah. Well, what about Oregon? Would, would that be pretty Oregon, similar? Yeah, they're in that same tier with Utah and us, I would say, for sure. I mean, Oregon's is – they're better than everyone. That's not necessarily – home court advantage. I mean, you put them at home, they're going to win a lot of games. You know, Colorado is pretty good too, but I mean, a lot of it does definitely come from being at home. Um, I w- We actually talked about this at length on the free ball and hoops pod that came, that came out this morning. Um, to me, I think it helps us in that most people have a home court advantage because of the fans energy. We have a home court advantage because of the fans energy and altitude. Altitude doesn't go away. That you're still going to have that advantage when other teams are, you know, you're going to have to create your own energy no matter where you go. We've seen that play out in the NBA. We've seen that play out in the NFL. We've seen that play out in baseball as well. We've seen that play out um, in college football as well, that it's been much easier to go on the road and win. I mean, Colorado did it just last week, even though Stanford is not, they don't have a great environment no matter what. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think it will hurt a lot of teams, I think you're going to see, you know, college basketball especially is notorious for everyone wins home games, no one wins road games. You win a road game, you it doesn't matter how you did it or who you did it against, tally it up because that's a good win. Um, this year, I think it's going to be a little different. 
Mitri Stanley mentioned that there were UCLA players talking about how gassed they were in the season opener yeah. out here. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't go away. I think we, it, we're we going to be one of the few places that has a distinct advantage in a home game. That's, That's a good point. PA Buff's second hoops question is, with Tyler Bay gone, but McKinley back, and a nice group of new faces, what will be the primary dynamic of the team compared to last year? Guard play. Guard play. I, I think this, t- this team has a chance to be – the best set of guards we've ever had. And that's legit. I really, I really do feel that way. I think people are sleeping real heavy on Keyshawn Bartholomew. He is a special player. I don't know if he's going to be there this year necessarily or what he's going to end up being, but I love his potential. I love him playing next to um, McKinley. We have a couple other young guys coming in that are talented. I mean, this team is, we always say that Tad Boyle's team is deep, but I mean, guys like Eli Parquet and Maddox Daniels, are going to have to really play well for playing time this year, and that bodes well. And PA Buff's third hoops question is, what are what are the odds that there actually will be a start to the basketball season for us on November 25th? The first three games are out of state, two in Manhattan, Kansas, and then Tucson. And then there are seven straight in Boulder. It seems like the factors to consider are what the state policies are, where they're playing, what the Pac-12 determinations are, and whether our team stays healthy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been sort of pessimistic throughout this whole thing, but it's kind of ended up being accurate, I guess, is how I would describe it. Um, I would be a little surprised at this point if it went off without a hitch. Um, I hope to be proven wrong. I mean, especially Kansas is getting absolutely blasted right now. So that's not looking super great. We'll see. Um, Yeah, I mean – I think ultimately the NCAA will probably step in and pause everything for a bit because the numbers around the country are just getting outrageous. Um, It's hard to combat that. And I think those non-conference games when you, at the end of the day are less important. Um, So we'll see, you know, if they play them great, but it's looking a little bit more unlikely every day for me right now. Obviously, the good thing with basketball compared to football is you're dealing with, what, a fifth as many players, even less than that, in terms of what a football program needs from a coaching staff player standpoint compared to basketball. But I'm curious, how how are these basketball teams going to be traveling around? They can't just charter a flight everywhere, can they? Yeah, well, I think that's the point. Like, CU is trying to keep as many games in one location as possible. So they have um, two games in Kansas – one game in Arizona, then they come home and to Vegas. So they're only going to be traveling three times throughout the whole non-conference, which is intentional. Um, Yeah, I I think the whole thing is tough. What I will say is to counterpoint your argument you just made, uh, the problem is if basketball, if one person gets positive, the rest of the team is in a lot of trouble. Uh, Football is certainly Mm -hmm. more segregated in that way. Um, You can, you know, there there can be a lot of guys – out with COVID testing protocol issues in football and you can still get to 53 guys. I find it very unlikely that a basketball team is going to be able to get enough guys eligible to play. If even one person gets it because the whole team is together all the time. All right. Buff merger asked, why would McKinley Wright come back again next season? Why wouldn't would not. Why wouldn't he? Uh, Cause he wants to get paid. Yeah. Even yeah. if he's not an NBA player, I mean, he's still only going to be in the prime of his athletic career for, for so long. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you're you're at that point. He's just wasting a year where he could get paid for the sport he loves rather than not. I mean, I love McKinley. I mean, listen, I would be absolutely fucking stoked if he came back. Sorry for the language, but um, yeah, he, I would be very shocked, very shocked. I mean, you know, in terms of do I think he's an NBA player? Still not at this point. He's going to have to improve dramatically, I think, to get there. Um, it, but in key positions that he's certainly capable of doing. But uh, yeah, it would it would be very shocking if he came back for what would be a fifth year. And it's not like McKinley Wright's standing in the corner shooting three pointers. The, the guy puts his body on the yeah. line every night, and so uh, you just got to be stoked that he's on the team this year because there was a chance he could have uh, already started that journey as a professional. Mm-hmm. So you you mentioned the free bomb hoops pod that you did with Ben Burrows. Uh, yeah, you just search free balling on pretty much any platform to pull that up, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I think we're pretty much anywhere these days, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Um, ben is the man. If you want to hear, it's it's a long podcast. It always is when we bring Ben on because the basketball starts flowing and me and him could chat forever uh, about the sport that we love. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, and, we, you know, as the season goes on, hopefully we'll continue to do weekly podcasts and that as well. So it's uh, I'm not doing much else in life right now. So the podcast the podcast totals up to four a week. So you, awesome. if you, if you really want to hear my nasally voice, you can. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to count them up. Are you doing a hoops pod with Will Whalen still? Yep. Yep. So okay. we got ball, ball boys with Will. That'll be a little more national pack 12 hoops talk. We'll talk some CU stuff as well, but that's just a more overall love for basketball podcast. Uh, this guy right here. And then we're going to have two on free ball and one football focus and one basketball. Is Will doing okay following that Clay Thompson news? Uh, no. Yeah, that's yeah, tough. He's he's not doing great. Um, I do feel bad for him, for sure. Clay, Clay is the most likable warrior. Mm-hmm. So that's no a bummer. Yeah. And if we didn't have enough CU podcasts, Jake Shapiro, Vinay Simlot, and Chase Howell, they're doing a Hoops podcast. Uh, that's going to be coming out right about the same time as this one. So look for that as well. So all the nice. podcasts coming your way. Let's finish out here. Well, first off, I think the NCAA tournament is going to be played in one location, right? In Yeah, Indianapolis, it sounds like, which is smart. I, I think that, you know, it sucks for Denver. Um, it sucks for the other locations. But I do think that's smart. And I and Ben talked about this on the pod last night. The, the, the NCAA tournament will be played under any circumstance. They will get it in this year no matter what. Um, he said that, and I agree with it 100%. This is the most likely way to make that happen, is doing it in one location. The NCAA, their bread is buttered by the NCAA tournament. They can't afford not to have it two years in a row, Right. to, to, to your point. You know, people forget that, you know, the NCAA doesn't make that much money. The college football playoff is a separate entity from the NCAA. So the NCAA tournament is what brings in so much of their revenue. So they need that money. Last question here, Tyler, and then we're going to sign off. What would be considered a successful season for Tad Boyle in the Buffs' 2020-21 season? Uh, I'll just, this will disagree with what the national opponents are saying, but they need to make the tournament. Um, you know, Tad could use the excuse, well, we weren't expected to be there, but he won't. He, he does expect his team to be mm-hmm. there. Um, they have McKinley Wright as a senior. They have plenty of other talent around them experience the weapons are there i don't care what people around the country are saying he needs to make the tournament a lot of fans have been unrealistic about 
what CU basketball should be on a year in and year out basis. But of course, the one complaint is they haven't made it to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament under Tad Boyle. Mm-hmm. I like that he doesn't shy away from that. It was like one of the first interviews he did with the media and said, hey, that's what we have to do as a program to consider it a success going forward. I don't know if that's in the cards this year, but I like the fact that he doesn't really shy away from from that as the goal for this program. Well, yeah. I mean, I think he doesn't shy away from it because he believes it. I mean, I would he have said that in year two? No, because that, you know, the program was different then. There wasn't that level of success. He hadn't built the foundation. Now the foundation is there. They have the talent. They've had the talent for quite a few years now to get it done, and they haven't done so. So the, the pressure is on for him to do it. Now, is he going to get fired if they don't? No, because, I mean, the class that he's bringing in next year is program changing, and, and they're not going to walk away from that before it even gets started. That That's what I would say. We'll see if that continues moving forward recruiting-wise. But yeah, I mean, next year's team will, I mean, Ken is going to be gone. So there's going to need to be some development there. But from that point moving forward, there are going to be very high expectations in Boulder. All right. Well, Tyler, we've uh, yammered on long enough here. Uh, We'll be back next week with a new podcast. Later. Later.